morning and welcome to Cyclist Not Biker uh, podcast episode 2, The Unbearable Lightness of Graveling. The fun of gravel has been kind of become unbearable for a lot of the type A's out there. Um, that's what I want to talk about mainly today. Um, you know, mountain biking started off in the 80s as uh, maybe even the late 70s. This isn't a history lesson about that. But it started off as this fun thing where people cobbled together junker bikes and uh, tried to see how fast they go downhill stuff. And they uh, they did. And then they're like, well, let's make some bikes that are specialty bikes for this. And uh, then we've... A lot of us that are out there have witnessed the um, evolution of mountain biking. But in specifically, mountain bike racing went from being this fun thing that you wore like a cutoff jean shorts in California to do to a uh, an international phenomenon governed by its own governing body and um, which is great there are uh, all the organizations out there that do fantastic work for uh, trail systems um, local and state stuff but ultimately, it became it went from being a fun thing to a road racer thing. Um, we saw uh, Leadville. Let's take Leadville for exa- uh, example. Leadville started off as a thing, and it ended up being a thing in all caps. Uh, we got you know such luminaries as the. Um, <laughs> Mr. Yellow Bracelet himself, Lance Armstrong, racing Leadville, you know, uh, bringing all these other road racer types, Tour de France types, doing this this uh, race, and that's great. That's fantastic. Good for them. Um, that's done a lot for the uh, sport of mountain bike racing. It's done a lot for uh, the town of Leadville. But, you know... It's supposed to be fun, right? And while some people can still have fun while being ultra-governed, you know, like in doing crits, uh, cyclocross races, whatnot, some people just kind of want to get away from it all and have a fun trying to complete a really hard course on their own and not have to worry about being, like, you know, drug-tested, um, pulled off course because you're not going fast enough. That's one of my favorite uh, cyclocross moves. Um, And when I was attempting to quote-unquote race cyclocross, had me quite a bit. Um, I'd be a lap or two back because I'm fucking slow. And then you're like, hey, you, get off the course. We're like, oh, man, I'm not not done yet. But no, you're done. Get out of the way. And, you know, for the longest time, I didn't really understand um, why I had to because I wasn't doing any harm. But then I was at a I was at a local criterium race and I saw w- what happens. There was a gentleman who was maybe a couple laps back from the leader. The leader um albeit unnecessarily because he was way off the front sprint finish. This other guy drifts into his path and it it was a mess. There were some broken bones, some broken bikes. Um, a lot of hearts and throats and it was a really bad situation so I do understand for safety factor 
that you need to pull people off course sometimes. And, and, you know, definitely in in that situation, that was not good at all. And, um, that was hard to watch. Um, anyway, getting back to this. So I under, I understand why, but like in a gravel race, you don't have that, but I can see that maybe going into the future. Um, and I'm jumping ahead a little bit here. Let's, let's bring it back a bit. So yeah. Uh, so grassroots racing, which now is gravel racing, is once again going through the whole type A ringer. What's it going to be when it comes out the other side? Is it going to be some kind of highly governed nonsense that you know people like me, possibly you? I don't know. I you whoever's listening out there, maybe you're the type that is really into having a lot of regulations, um, and that's that's fine. Um, I'm the type of person who prefers that you just let me be and I'll go do my own thing. Um, because chances are, whatever I've entered, I'm probably not really going to finish it, but I'm going to try my darndest. I'm definitely not in the, I'm not even in the top 70% of any field. So, uh, maybe if there comes a time when there's these huge, um, oppressive laws (laughs) for racing that, uh, uh, they go like, oh, let's see, you, 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 and you, you, you're slow. Um, none of this applies to you. Um, we'll see you when we see you. Um, here's the phone number for a sec. Um, you know, I think one of the problems here um, that we've witnessed recently is that you know we have. For the last few years, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to pick on this particular race at all because I have the utmost respect for it, but Dirty Kanza, um, so we've got some UCI Tour de France, uh, cyclocross world champions racing this thing, and uh, it's it's a really challenging race Uh, it's honestly never been on my bucket list but now it's on my bucket list because um, seeing how much fun and not fun in particular I hate having fun which is why I'm out there but I like to not have fun in my own terms not on the terms of other people who also don't like having fun but their idea of fun is ruining fun for other people who like to just have fun Um, but seeing people that have gone out there and, and raced this but so we've got like you know Ted King, we've got uh, Jay Powell, guys like that out there. We got Tour de France writers out there, and they're out there just slugging it out like it's a, uh, like they're in fucking Belgium, and they're not. They're in Kansas, which okay, a very cool. We're it, they have started this grassroots race, Jim Cummins and his partners, years ago, just because they wanted to race in the Flint Hills of Kansas. It's some uh, potentially nasty riding conditions down there. Um, Definitely different than the nasty riding conditions in the capital of gravel cycling in the Midwest, Iowa. That's right. But you know, all the same, it has its own challenges, uh, AKA there, there's like no fucking towns on that course. They basically, there's one town in Kansas and it's not even really in Kansas. The rest of them are all imaginary. And when you look at a map and it says they're like little dots, that's just to make it look like they're a real state. They're just Flint gravel roads and 
uh, great for flatting out on and also getting injured and dehydrated. Um, but that's what makes dirty cans great. It's tough because it's a 200 miles is stupid. B nobody in the right mind wants to do this. Um, on a normal everyday level, uh, but it's a challenge, you know, like gravel worlds, like the, the worst of them all by, in my true love, uh, rest in peace, trans Iowa, possibly the dumbest gravel race on earth. Um, in my mind, in my opinion, it's just, it was the dumbest in a good way. Um, but anyway, so back, so dirty Kansas, it's high profile now. It is the Leadville of gravel racing. It has brought in all these big names. Um, there's been controversy in the past. Uh, Jeremy Fry, I believe it was last year, was accused of winning by having actual on-course support. And folks, these are unsupported uh, events. You don't get to have an extra bike on a truck following you around. You don't have people handling, handing you your bidons. You don't, you don't get that. This is on you. Um, you might get drop bags. Um, Dirty Kansas has a nice um, drop bag slash kind of paid support system. So when you get to checkpoints, um, you're taken care of. And that's that's really necessary for them because the aforementioned lack of any kind of towns in Kansas. There are no towns in Kansas. Which is kind of not true. But there aren't a lot of amenities. Um you know, Guitar Ted with Trans Iowa, there were check marks, checkpoints, but there, there are not, um, there's no support um, because he makes the course so that you're going to run into a convenience store. And it might be a long time, and you really need to plan for that. And that's part of the allure of these races. Like, you know, even if you're fit enough to ride 340 miles of gravel in a fucking row, which is absolutely stupid that's great if you fit and you can do it but if you're so one track minded that you're just going to try to roll through all this and you're not uh, properly hydrating um, you decide to blow off a sea store because you might not need food and then find out you know 40-50 miles later that wow there's nothing for another 50 miles and I am running on E when you're bonking and you are between, you know, in that mile 30 of a 60 mile ride in the next convenience store, that's not good. Um, been there, done that. So yeah, you can be as fit as you want, but if you're not playing it safe, if you're not using your head, if you're not really, uh, I kind of, it's kind of, if, if you're a basketball fan, which I'm not, but I just thought of this, it's kind of like being the guy that gets the ball and always wants to dunk. It doesn't really work out that well. Sometimes you have to be a team player, and your teammates are the resources around you. And sometimes they're actually your teammates, because that's another point. So we get like these, uh, and I saw this on Trans-Io once, but I'm going to keep it at that, because it's against the rules. But, you know, get your team of roadie pals out, or whoever pals, and you get out on those gravel roads, and you just get this giant... Um, team pace line going. Um, that's that's not what fucking gravel racing is about. It's about you versus the elements. You know, I've got nothing against people riding in groups. Um, not that it matters, because again, that's rules and that's not my. I, I'm just talking. 
I'm just babbling. I just got done drinking like a pot of coffee, so prepare for no information really getting out of my mouth, just words. Um, you know, people people ride in packs. That's how it goes. Um, even Mr. Solo guy over here, my last uh, Trans Iowa attempt, I ended up riding with a couple guys, but we were all riding kind of different bikes and paces, so it didn't work out so well. But you know, you get the the lead packs or lead couple packs on these longer gravel races, and they're gonna get together and they're gonna crank it out, and that's that's how it goes. But when you go into something with your like pro team or your semi pro team or your amateur team, and you just get in a nice, you know, six or seven person echelon and just crank it out and boom, you're done. That's, I mean, that's nice. Good for you. Um, but that's not how it's supposed to work. And, you know, I did watch this happen at Trans Iowa one year. It's like, well, that's interesting that someone could get, you know, just, you're not supposed to carry the winner to the front. It's not the fucking Tour de France. That's, it's you versus yourself versus the course. That's what it is. Um, so anyway, let's get back. I actually took some notes this time, and I have no idea what they say. Uh, so yeah, so you get these big name... Wow, we're really on tangent today. So you get these big name riders, these UCI guys coming out and riding Dirty Kanza, which brings a lot of press. The media wants to cover it. Um, it brings, it's turned that race into basically like the sea otter of gravel racing. Also, because all the companies want to show off their new fangled uh, gravel-specific nonsense, um, which again is great. You know, uh, the bike industry has to survive, or what the hell are we going to ride? And uh, I don't, I personally don't mind being led around by the nose by some industry uh, marketing types telling me I need this or that because sometimes they're right and sometimes you know it's nice to just have new stuff um, I bitch a lot about like oh do we really need a full suspension gravel bike do we really need you know it, that's it's a it's a conversation I've had with friends over over drinks like oh this is dumb do we need this and then I walk into my own garage and I see the fact that that's exactly what's going on in my garage I don't need any of that shit you only really need one one bike, and which uh, the cycling industry has like likes to call the quiver killer. Um, but sometimes you just like to have like pretty bikes to look at and to ride and different geometries and, and maybe you do different uh, things. Like you know, I don't know that I would want to live without my big dummy, but I also have a bob trailer. So you know, uh, tomato tomato on that. Um, Back in the day when I just had a, a couple bikes, my cyclocross bike was my commuter bike, was my um, cargo bike with that bob trailer. And sometimes it was my touring bike with the bob trailer, you know, and, and that bike got me to where I was going and it did it in a very um, economical fashion, did not require me to own multiple bikes. Um, maybe that's something that <clears throat> I need to get with myself about that and not bother you. But the industry does tell us that we need all this new gravel-specific stuff. And, you know, Salsa uh, Cycles really got that, um, got started, because they, they were into adventure cycling. That's what they did. Um, 
some other companies kind of hopped along. Lots of, you know, custom companies like uh, Reeb, uh, Moots has always been kind of adventure cycling, being the Colorado company they are, um, and a number of others. And then there are new upstarts that are doing like really cool stuff with steel and making things um, affordable. The advent of 1x11 drivetrains is fantastic. I'm waiting for a 1x12 drivetrain. Uh, for road shifters so that I can um, you know, be financially screwed over some more. But I'm just doing my part to keep the cycling industry alive. And you know, no, no, people aren't buying the low-end, big-name road bikes as much as they used to. In, 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 in my travels, I don't see them as often. What I see now is people out doing their Sunday morning cruise on a fucking salsa warbird like kick ass I love it um, you've just gotten something that will get you there faster it also will get you unless you're doing single track which my warbird was never fantastic at but I think that was more of the operator than the bike itself um, I'm a shit mountain biker um, but you got something that's versatile when you buy, you know, a Surly Crosscheck or Straggler, that's a versatile bike. Um, and seeing people buy those, and you know, and obviously the big names have their own versions of that stuff now too. So that's, um, and, and they're selling a bunch too. Like, you know, they have, they have the buying power and the build power and the, the pricing power to give you a straight up, like if you were to build say a salsa fargo with a generator hub and uh like a front rack type situation you know specialized just makes that bike now um trek has their own version of the the i mean it's i see it as their own version of the salsa fargo it's kind of an adventure 29er bike and uh i've ridden it it's it's nice but again that's the state of what's going on with uh, gravel racing and adventure cycling is that now everybody's like it's becoming the thing everybody's got to have an adventure bike and you know what I think for once the cycling marketing people have kind of nailed it inadvertently I don't think they planned on this but you know these bikes are very um, versatile and they are kind of quiver killers so if you're just getting the cycling and you buy a cross check um, t- you're you're sitting good. Like you can make that into a light touring bike. It'll fit like 45s in there. You can ride it on muddiest garbage. It's steel. It's gonna last you forever. And if you decide that you're gonna go full on stupid and get like a titanium or carbon gravel bike or something, you can just turn that into a single speed commuter. Like you, this, folks. This isn't a bad thing. I just like to talk shit. So all the gra- all these all the manufacturers come out because it's like the sea otter of gravel. So we'll call it like rock otter because rock otter sounds kind of fun. Don't otters use rocks to open stuff? I don't know. I'm not a wildlife guy. Um, so they, they they come out. They show all their products. Everybody say like ooh and ah and like talk trash. You know, um, somebody brought out uh, a full suspension gravel bike and you know there was a I talked a bunch of shit about it there were a bunch of people talking shit about it but then um one of our friends who does 
uh, gravel rice riding, gravel training in Arkansas and places like that. So actually, actually, that could come in handy in some places. So don't knock it until you try it. And I thought about, you know, I'm getting older. Maybe I do need full suspension. I mean, is it going to make me faster? No, I don't think anything's going to make me any faster. But that extra comfort level could come in handy for when I decide that I'm going to go out and ride 300 miles in a row, which sometimes I, I have intentions on doing that. Um, I know on one of my bikes I've been testing out, I've been going back and forth between a Thompson seat post with a Brooks B17 that's pretty broken in. <clears throat> I've been going between that and uh, a uh, Ergon, I think, SM3 on a Cirrus body float suspension seat post and uh, there's definitely a difference um when i was like 80 pounds heavier i was trying that cirrus and let me tell you they don't make strings or they don't make springs strong enough for someone 320 pounds or whatever the hell i was um 330 pounds but now that i'm back down to like a normal human being weight um i can feel the actual benefit of trying to you know, ride faster but I've got I've also got on a, on a 650b bike running 47s so it's it's maybe a little overkill you know that that could go on something running 35s um, so you've got the faster tire allegedly faster tire that's a whole nother episode let's talk about let's talk about this tire sizes and rolling resistances and let's not do that I'm sure there's got to be a podcast out there that talks about that kind of stuff um, this one is just for rambling. So let's, let's bring it back. So so there's all this, uh, there's a bunch of buzz around this event and a bunch of press. So what does it do? It invites in all the armchair quarterback racers, of course. Um, we have that. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been on a message board for, say, like a Tour de France group, but wow. Actually, you don't even need to get a message board because that's such a big thing. You just be on social media, period. It gets ugly. It gets really ugly. But I don't know. The, the European UCI stuff, I, I feel like sometimes they get ugly uh, on purpose. But you know what? That opinion is also a product of our current times where nothing is real anymore. Um, but if you get like a message board, for instance, the... Uh, Tour Divide and the Transamerica race are going on, and I feel a little bit remiss not mentioning them um, and not doing whole episodes prior to them starting earlier this month, but man, I just haven't been in the uh, the mood to talk about bikes. I've just been riding them. Um, but if you get on these, like, dot watcher groups, and dot being you go to the spot tracker site, and the dot is the writer, if you are not in the know about that, so you can see what position they're at. So it's kind of like being able to watch, um, like imagine if you were watching a major bike race, but you could only watch it kind of in virtual reality. Um, nah, that's not even it. Anyway, false equivalency. So these dot watcher 
uh, folks, uh, 99% of them are fantastic human beings and they have nice discussions about things. They're, they're concerned about the riders because what these riders are doing are, you know, thousands of miles of mountain biking or even more thousands of miles of road riding across the United States and, you know, traversing a country the size of the U.S. on any kind of bicycle is, uh, is madness. Uh, and that turns into you get a few people that are a little unhinged on these boards and they go batshit crazy at people about this and that and this and that and well that shouldn't be this way and that shouldn't be this way but uh, chances are they've um, they've never even remotely thought about doing this themselves they're just more in it for voicing their opinions and from what I've seen uh, every single person who has attempted either one of those races that are part of the discussions are the nicest, most sane, and level-headed people about those events because they know what's up. Um, people that don't know what's up, they tend to just run off of the mouth, and I think we all know that because it is 2018, and that's what happens. So you get all these armchair gravel racers who have never done it, and they like to say things like, well, that shouldn't be that way, or let's take one particular controversy, manufactured controversy, and talk about that. Let's talk about uh, aero bars in gravel racing. Okay. Aero bars in gravel racing. Uh, you know, they're not, in my opinion, they're not necessary for something under 100 miles. Unless it's fl just flat, a flat course and it's, it's a windy area. Um, like our... Uh, uh, what do we got? The Gents Race north of Des Moines. You know, it's a metric century. Uh, it seemed, it's pretty pretty flat. There's very little climbing. But uh, the wind up north of the town is notoriously uh, notorious. And sometimes it makes, you know, some years that course is a beast simply because of the wind. Other times it's, you know, timing and fresh gravel, etc. Um... You still on here? Oh, we are amazing. I've recorded like three other episodes, and the my my phone just stopped recording uh, at the beginning. So that's one of the reasons why you haven't had to listen to this crap uh, until now. So, arrow bars and gravel. There is a picture of a pace line. People in arrow bars riding on Dirty Cans of this year. This picture has become a point of controversy for armchair gravel racers around the country, possibly around the world. Uh, the comments I've read have gone from, you can't do that, that's dangerous, you're gonna fall down. And I feel like these are the same people who were really, really against disc brakes in road racing, because there's this like, slight chance you're going to get hurt. Um, I guess one writer, a couple writers did, but I mean, what the fuck do you have to do to get your shit sliced open by a disc, like a 140 mil disc on a wheel? That's not the disc's fault. That's you. <laughs> Sorry. Or the person that puts you in that position. That's just poor bike handling skills at any level. So people are like, oh, you, can, you shouldn't be able to use those. You shouldn't be able to use those. And some races don't let you use them. Um, there's also the misconception that aero bars and gravel are 
because you want to be Arrow. Uh, okay, let me tell you something about being Arrow in a gravel race. I am not an Arrow person. There are no, there's no part of me that's ever going to be Arrow, but I've ridden, uh, I've owned a couple Fargos over time, and I've had Arrow bars on both of those Fargos, and it's not for being Arrow, and it's not for cutting the wind, it's for resting your wrists and resting your elbows. You know, sometimes you need to take the weight off your hands um, if you're going to be riding for say 12 to 30 hours in a row I mean think about that you know think about the longest ride that you've ever done and I know a couple of you listening to this have done you know shit like Ram so but you also if you are listening Sarah you you also know the perils of putting your hands through the thousands and thousands and thousands of miles that it takes to get to the point where you can do stuff like that. And, you know, aero bars, it's not necessary for getting aero <clears throat> on gravel. It's definitely for, if for in a large part, it's for just taking the weight, shifting, taking the weight off your hands, shifting riding positions, and just kind of settling in. If you've got a long, straight path, um, with not a lot of climbing, you can just get down on those aero bars and start trucking. You know, that's, that's, um, it's kind of like, I don't know, I, I call it sitting back on the couch. You know, if you've got one of those just nice spots, maybe it's even like a gradual decline for a couple miles, like just a tiny, just enough to where you're not having to work too hard. You just like kind of get in those aero bars and rest up a little bit. It helps rest your whole body, you know, it's not, you're not fighting those forces, and that kind of goes back into aero bars or suspension. We'll save that for another time. So there are all these people that are up in arms about uh, whether or not aero bars should be or not be in gravel racing. So uh, Cyclocross Magazine took it upon themselves to take an internet poll, and it was a pretty, it was a fairly even split over whether or not uh, aero bars should be hand, you know, have, should be allowed in gravel racing. Um, uh, there was a, like a 6% response rate of people who have just never done it and don't want to. They just don't want to gravel race, but they definitely had to put their two cents in. That's uh, those assholes I was talking about. It's like, oh, well, but my opinion, like nobody gives a shit, dude. Go ride your bike. Nobody cares. And, you know, it's... I, I've seen... I read a lot of comments. I, I spent a lot of time on social media, more than I should. Um, but all those comments, those, like, negative, shitty comments about things, come from dudes. It, it just comes from dudes. There's, I don't think that I've ever seen in a cycling um, social media situation talking about gravel racing aero bars where it wasn't just a dude being like, man... You shouldn't be able to do that. Or man, but like, what do you even do you even gravel, bro? Get out of here. Like, go back to your road racing or whatever you're doing. Go back to your jazzy scooter and go down to the store and get some fucking chips. I don't give a shit what you do. Don't give a shit what I do. Um one of the safety concerns is riding in a pace line in uh aero bars. Well, okay. 
if you are riding in a pace line in aero bars on gravel, you have got to be really super confident in the people around you, and you have to have a bit of skill. Um, you don't see uh, aero bar gravel echelon on the back of the pack. You see that in the front of the pack because those people are um, maybe more experienced. Uh, once again, going back to my experience, um, we we have this gents race, which is a five-person team gravel race. It's one of those where you are encouraged to get in your pace line and knock it out. And some of the faster teams um, definitely knock it out quickly. Um, one year in particular, it was super, super, super fucking windy. And we were lucky enough to have... Um, Mr. Steve Fuller on our team every year for the last eight years, but that particular year he was getting ready for um, his bid at the um, Tour Divide race. So uh, Steve, being the amazing big engine that can, pulled our asses in our you know front of the wheel practically touching the front the person in front of your heel, and we did that for you know 20 30 miles at a time. Um, we've all ridden together um, at least once a year for five years or six years at that point. Um, all of us in that group are pretty seasoned riders and we've come from doing some sort of racing or long distance riding in the past. Um, and I never felt for a second when we hit like weird side wind, uh, gusts, anything like that, that I was in danger. Um, if you are getting involved in a time trial situation on gravel in your aero bars, you probably have the confidence that this is okay and you're going to be able to pull it off and the people around you are trustworthy because um, if you didn't, you wouldn't put yourself in that situation. Um, you have to be a real big dummy to stick yourself in the middle of a bunch of basically like pro-am level um, like cat two level, uh, pro level racers and, um, ride like an asshole, you know, they're going to spot you as being unsafe and they'll spit you off the back in a second. Like you're not going to last. So don't even try it. But this is a controversy. This shouldn't be allowed. You know, there, there are races out there that don't allow it. Um, for whatever reason, that's fine. Um, here's my, Let's, man, we've been talking. I've been talking for like a half an hour about this. I just let's. I want to wrap this part up. I'm sorry to everybody out there that thinks that there should be a governing body for grassroots gravel racing, because you're wrong. There doesn't seem to be a need for it. There isn't a need for it. Um, I think that. There are a couple of simple rules that you can follow to be safe in gravel racing um, without having to go through uh, adding your gravel category onto your um, USA cycling license um, without having to buy a license. But, you know, uh, shit, you're already throwing enough money at gravel racing, especially endurance stuff. You know, if you're buying packs, all the food, the tr that training... I've never really worked out what it costs per mile personally for just training for one of these um, events, but it's not cheap. It's not cheap. 
And if you're listening to this, you probably know it's not cheap because you spent some time in the uh, the money pit of cycling. Uh, but yeah, buying a buying a license on top of that, like fuck that. Um, here's some really easy rules that we can all follow that are not governed by anyone or me or put out there as the law. A. Ride smart. B. Know when you're done, because riding past your abilities, especially in a pack of other people, is a great way to put other people, including yourself in danger don't do it one of my unpublished podcasts I talked extensively about knowing when to say when and I'll cover it in another podcast because you've heard enough of this shit already so A ride smart B know when to say when uh, and C C A and B boom it's that simple like don't be an asshole to yourself or others. Just go out there, ride your ride. If you're done, you're done. If you're not, keep on riding. Ride responsibly. There, We don't need drug testing. I swear, if there's anyone who has doped to win a fucking gravel race, you are in the wrong sport. Get out. If you have doped to finish a gravel race and I don't know that some of us back of the pack guys haven't thought about trying something like that before but it's not ethical don't do it it's like not legal in the real world so in the bubble of cycling don't fucking do it um, those are the rules do you need a governing body for that? no oh Actually, rule D should be C, A, B, and C. Because rule C is probably follow the rules of the race that you're racing. Because the directors don't come up with those rules uh, for no reason. Um, They come up with them for a reason. And uh, you should follow them if you are entering their race. Um, Where are we at in time? 38 minutes of this, huh? Wow. Wow. If you've made it this far, congratulations. Um, I need to like come up with some kind of prizes for people who actually listen to this podcast that long. So uh, where are we at? Uh, we covered pretty much three things of the 20 things I want to talk about today. But we're out of time because I need to go to work. A.K.A. I need to go ride my bike. So until next time. This is Cyclist Not Biker podcast. Ride your bikes. Don't make unnecessary rules for gravel racing. Good night.